0: Good Times The Cooperage Project.org. and from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday, Patricia Robbio. It's Friday. We made it. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me. I hope you're doing well. And I hope you're staying warm. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking to sound artist Terry Dame, we will be kicking off the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance Salon Series that kicks off tomorrow. But first, it's Friday on the local edition and every other Friday we check in with the Hudson Valley's Times Union managing editor, Philip Pontuso to see what's happening in the Hudson Valley. Philip, welcome back to the program.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Now the Times Union has an article about how state senators are looking to, are looking into how IDAs, industrial development agencies, give tax breaks to new developments and existing projects. What can you tell us about this story?
1: Yeah, so this was a wide-ranging investigation announced on Wednesday by State Senator James Skoufis, who is the chair of the Senate's Committee on Investigations and in Government Operations and represents um, Orange County in the State Senate. And um, IDAs, industrial development agencies, have long been a focus of Senator Skoufis. Um This one is going to look at, as you mentioned, how these corporations, public benefit corporations, handle the situation of tax breaks, specifically payment in lieu of taxes or pilot requests. So a little bit of background is probably necessary here because IDAs are somewhat complicated. They are technically public benefit corporations that are created by the state at the request of a specific locality, usually in our region. That's a county, and they're overseen by local boards, and they offer companies Uh, a wide range of of economic development services, including needs assessment, site selection, financial incentives like tax breaks, uh, access to other public sector programs, and they can also purchase land, which is usually not taxed. Um, The investigation is going to look at several IDAs across the state, but at the heart of it is a $2.7 million, 15-year payment in lieu of taxes agreement that the Orange County IDA approved last year for a frozen food business in Goshen called Milmar Foods. $2.7 million might not seem like that much, Senator Scoofus agrees. But what kind of set him off on this one is that the company on its application checked a box saying that uh, the project, uh, which is a warehouse expansion, would move forward even if they didn't have these files, um, or even if they didn't have these tax breaks, I should be more specific. Um, they, You know, they said in in their application uh, and before a uh, board hearing that the tax breaks would expedite the process, but, you know, they didn't actually need it. Um, these kinds of tax breaks, pilots in particular, have become sort of common go-to tools that IDAs have used to foster economic development, which,
2: mm-hmm. you know, isn't
1: necessarily a bad thing. But it's worth noting that tax breaks... You know, obviously, prevent monies from flowing into local schools, infrastructure, and social social services. So, what Schoofus wants to do with this investigation, he told us, is uh, is to raise public awareness about how these IDAs grant tax breaks, and to hold them uh, more accountable, and to maybe back further reform efforts at the state level about how this process works. It's kind of you know rife with corruption and potential corruption, um, and the senator is trying to
0: clean that up, right? Absolutely, and I guess you mentioned the IDAs uh, can be complicated. I could definitely agree with that. I used to cover the IDA for Sullivan County, uh, for the Sullivan County Democrat, and it was uh, a learn a long learning curve uh, for me to figure out everything, how the IDA works, and and all the tax breaks and pilot programs and all that. And and that was one of the biggest complaints that uh, I've seen when IDA comes into a project, whether uh, you know these companies or projects get large tax breaks uh and then what happens two years, three years into a pilot program and the, the business goes uh defunct and goes out of business and what happens to, then it was almost like the process starts all over again and the towns and villages always felt like they got shorted out uh, on, on deals like that when they could have been getting three years worth of full taxes instead of, uh, you know, sometimes a quarter of a taxes or, or something like that. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I, I think that um, the the localities here are sort of you can you can see it from you can see the situation from both, from both sides or they're seeing the situation from both sides. They want to incentivize development, of course, but these local taxes are the kind of lifeblood again of schools, infrastructure, services, um, and as the tax base here um, maybe declines a little bit, they're they're all the more important as as they try to incentivize development.
0: Right, right. So like, the, right now, right, the, the timeline of this is, is this the beginning stages of the investigation, right?
1: Yeah, beginning stages of the investigation, no real timeline yet on when it's going to be completed, um, but they are they're looking into several ideas uh, right now, Um so you know, we'll, it's something we'll keep monitoring for sure.
0: Right now, uh, I am, I'm I'm not sure if you mentioned this in the article, if you mentioned it earlier, but are they checking every IDA or just like a handful of random IDAs throughout New York State?
1: It's a it's a it's a the committee is still finalizing the list of agencies it plans to survey, or they were still finalizing it um, on Wednesday. Um, but they're not going to do all of them. There's there's yeah. too many. But Scoofus did say that. The probe will include IDAs in the Syracuse and Buffalo areas, one on Long Island, one further upstate, and the, the one in Orange County that's already mentioned. And he did estimate it would take probably a couple of months to complete. So, um, you know, probably look for a report coming out of this um, late spring or early summer.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have another article that you worked on about Kathy Hochul's uh, $150 million housing fund for the Mid-Hudson region. What can you tell us about this?
1: Yeah, another state story. So um, earlier this week, actually the day before ScoopFist made his announcement, Kathy Hochul was in White Plains in Westchester to announce a wide range of um, funding initiatives, um, most of these part of the executive budget uh, for the Mid-Hudson Valley. Uh, I think the takeaway was um, a new fund called the Mid-Hudson Momentum Fund which will make $150 million available to Hudson Valley businesses and municipalities to use for housing and infrastructure. Um, that will be implemented by Empire State Development, another sort of quasi-public uh, co- corporation. Um, and uh, starting this spring, awards ranging from $2.5 million to $10 million will be available for businesses and localities in what the state defines as the Mid-Hudson region, uh, which is Dutchess, Ulster, Orange, Putnam, Sullivan, Rockland, and Westchester counties. Um, and there's going to be an application process, um, and these monies will basically use be used to fund um, new infrastructure and new mixed-use housing developments over a five-year period. Um, Hochul sort of couched this as part of her wider plan plan. Um, to build 800,000 new homes in the state across the decade or over the next decade. And one of the things she's really trying to do is in order to make that happen is to incentivize more dense housing development. And so I, I noted, uh, in this announcement has jumped out to me. um, it's got a list of like kind of what projects have a better shot of funding, what they need to do ones that prioritize affordable housing, ones that prioritize renewable energy technology, and also ones that, quote, demonstrate a connection to increased housing density. Um, Also, uh, plans that get these grants will be required, uh, the municipalities that that apply will be required to rezone, um, so the areas around their rail stations, if they have an MTA rail station, to rezone it for higher density residential development. So basically, more carrots and a couple of sticks to try to get uh, more dense housing in the Mid Hudson region.
0: Right, and the localities have to apply for this uh, for these uh, awards, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, And another stipulation there is that they have to have at least fifty percent matching from non-state funding sources. So. I think the way to think about this is, is a, a pool of state money to help get projects over the finish line, not to
2: sort of like get them started.
0: Right. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, she had that bold initiative in her state of the state of wanting each uh, localities to, to have an increase of housing. Uh, I think, I believe I, I would remember just from memory is I think 1% each year of growth. And uh, I guess this is a way to sort of fund that in, in, uh, in a roundabout way, awarding, these uh these grants to these localities and having them apply for it so um i can see you know uh, that's good because i said we we have a housing crisis we just had the sullivan county human rights uh, commissioner on the on the program on monday and she was telling us how sullivan county has as you know like most counties in new york state has a housing crisis and uh, the need for affordable housing is so much greater now
1: oh yeah yeah the um the governor's release noted that regional housing stock availability was at less than 1% last year. Um, and, you know, listeners don't need me to tell them the affordability crisis is, is impacting this region and the Catskills um, pretty extremely.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Philip, thank you so much for that. I, we do really appreciate it. We were talking to Philip Pontuso, managing editor for the Hudson Valley Times Union. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Till next time. We'll be right back. we we'll are be talking to sound artist Terry Dane.
2: This week in This American Life, when David Sitter Cat died... His family helped him deal with the loss. My mother sent a consoling letter along with a check to cover the cost of the cremation. In the left-hand corner, under the heading marked Memo, she'd written Pet Burning. When animals attack our hearts.
0: Pet Stories, it's this week. Saturday at 6 on Radio Catskill. You're listening to The Local Edition. Winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday, Patricio Ravallo. The Delaware Valley Arts Alliance will begin its salon series this Saturday. And the first artist will be a sound artist, Terry Dame. Terry uses artist-made instruments created from discarded objects. Terry will perform a set of improvised soundscapes, incorporating sounds from honeybees, native birds, water, and human-made noises. Terry is on the phone with us now to tell us more. Terry, welcome back to, well, say, welcome back, welcome to the program. Um, You know, you're a sound artist, and I just want to know what inspired you to become a sound artist, and how has your journey in this field evolved over the years?
2: Well, um, I've been a musician my whole life and a composer and uh, an instrument builder and uh, been making instruments out of found objects. The line between music and sound has always been a blurry one for me. You know, during the pandemic, I was locked away up here for uh, endless amounts of time. And, you know, I started listening a lot and I also am a a college professor. I teach sound art and, uh, music composition in the city. And, um, through trying to brainstorm how to teach my students about sound from a distance, I started talking to them a lot about listening and doing field recording, which going out in the world and recording found sound. And um, so I've just been gathering materials and, you know, being surrounded by nature. Um, I necessarily, uh, you know, got a lot of natural sounds. And, and um, yeah, I've just been playing around with them. Not sure what I was going to do with them. I, I they also create sound installations, interactive sound installations, and I, I assume that was what they were kind of destined for. But uh, in the last year or so, I've been improvising with uh, some local artists, musicians and dancers, and starting using these sound sounds um, in my work with them. And, uh, and then the Ariel invited me along to this salon series, so I thought I would pull out some of my old uh, interactive instruments see what came out of it.
0: And here we are. I was watching this documentary on YouTube about you, and you were talking about how you started doing these sounds uh, in college, and you were finding these—I guess I don't know—I don't know the name of them—but these uh, electric connectors, and you were placing them on different objects and uh, and recording them that way. Is that where it all began?
2: the the instrument inventing part did um they're not they're not actually sensors i think the things you're talking about are they're called contact microphones so they they uh respond to vibration in solid objects as opposed to in in air or, or where the way most microphones do so i my in graduate school actually i started uh, <laughs> sticking them all over different kinds of objects and getting sounds out of them and recording that and uh, yeah Uh, actually my thesis in in graduate school was a collaboration with a choreographer and it was about um, exploring traditional quote-unquote domains of women's employment so my half of the project was creating instruments sound making musical instruments out of found household objects so that's kind of where the building became it got going on, and then um you know that's just developed over the years and uh I had an ensemble for years and years that was all found instruments uh invented instruments from found objects and um when that ensemble broke up, I was sort of searching for something new to do and took some classes and got um interested in this sort of interactive, um, so they're sensor based. So some of them are light sensors and some of them are motion sensors. And I build them, those sensors into found objects and, uh, they make these sound triggers. Um, so they're kind of like sculptures that I interact with in different ways all to toward the end of, uh, I have kind of a love hate relationship with technology and Finding ways to kind of interact with them and humanize the interaction with technology has kind of become my my way of interacting with technology in a way that feels uh, kind of more human. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sax player, so I'm used to the direct interaction of something physical I do resulting in sound. So. That's kind of my goal with these electronic uh, instruments, as well as making beautiful objects.
0: What I find unique about your artwork is that you are a performer, you are a musician, and you're playing these, these artist made objects. If you look at a quote-unquote normal musician, maybe plays guitar or plays like saxophone, usually the musician is not creating the instrument. That they're going to play. They just usually buy it, train with it, and play. But you are not only playing the instrument; you are creating the instrument. Can you describe, I guess, the creative process that you go through when creating your artist-made instruments?
2: I mean, I've always been a maker. I'm a you know, I make and build, and I love to invent. And um, but it's it's kind of a double double. There's kind of two different ways that I approach it. I'm a composer, so, and this kind of, yeah, this relates to more the sort of uh, earlier instruments I was building, but this was kind of the foundation when I was making and composing. If I came at it from a composing side, I would hear a sound or think of a sound that I wanted to include in a composition and then go about finding an object or, you know, fabricating something from objects that would create that sound. The flip side of that, um, as a maker, I, and I love old objects, so I, I'm constantly sort of on the prowl or having my eyes open for some interesting-looking or sounding object. And then when I would find a cool sound, then I would compose for that sound. So it's really, um, you know, I feel like I'm kind of in this point of my career that I have gone around a lot of sort of iterations, um, even including... Sort of pre professional musician, I was, I have a bachelor's degree in environmental planning. So I've always been very environmentally aware and, you know, attached, very strong attachment to nature. But I, that field didn't quite creatively satisfy me. So um, I went back to music and spent a lot of years playing mu- traditional music and then graduate school. Through various mentors and teachers, I found my way to you know, making instruments. Then and I, I missed that I had, I was an, before I <laughs> uh, ended up with a degree in environmental planning, I was an engineering major. So the older I got, all those things just started coming together like the creative maker, builder was satisfied by the building of the instruments and the composer musician was satisfied by the composing, you know, sounds and the kind of technology of now what I'm doing with this interactive sensor based building, these kind of electronic contraptions satisfies the engineer in me. So, and now (laughs) I've taken it all the way home with, um, my love for nature and, and natural sound. I love found sound. There's just, there's so much amazing sound in the world, so much natural rhythm and melody. And so I'm really having fun taking that sound and, and, you know, transforming it into musical quote unquote sounds. And, and, you know, it's a weird conglomeration of interests and skills that, um, I think is entertaining. <laughs> I've gotten lots of positive feedback. I'm still at it this many years later. Um, you know, I uh yeah. I I'm constantly harping at my students, you know, that their their number one ticket if they're gonna succeed is to be original. I'm sort of like a an originality queen, like I'm s i am constantly striving to find something new to say, you know, sonically or some you know, some way new way of as a sax player, like, what am I going to say that hasn't been said before? You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking for a new way to express myself in a, in a creative and interesting way. So that's the long story of it.
0: How are you using technology to transform the sounds during your performance? Using, like, the natures, using the honeybees, the wind, the water, how are you transforming that all into a performance.
2: Um, well, you know the bees. Uh, I'm a beekeeper, and so th- they they make an amazing sound. So I've been I started recording them. So I use various um, softwares. That, so I record. Do a lot of field recording, and um, and then I bring it into the digital realm. So it, onto a computer. I use a software called Ableton Live. Uh, but you're able, I'm able to take these sounds in and, and sample them, and then through a technology called MIDI. So it's a, it's a, it's a language, it's a digital language that um, was actually created in the 80s, but it, uh, on its most basic level you'll see what's called a MIDI keyboard, like a piano keyboard. And basically it just triggers sound that lives, uh, software-based instruments that live on the computer. and. It's fun, but again, most, I don't, I get, I get bored with, you know, the pre-made sounds and et cetera, et cetera. So, I, like I said, there's just so much incredible sound in nature. I mean, I, I have to laugh at myself sometimes because, I mean, I, I feel like a crazy person, but my, my tub drain, is incredibly musical when it drains, and I'll find my. We need to get a t- shower and shut, you know, shut the water off, and then the tr- drain will start going, and it's this, this crazy rhythm. So I like grab a towel, run quick, go get my recorder. So I'll be doing a piece featuring uh, <laughs> some a real groovy groove that is, aka, my tub drain. <laughs> Um, you know, I record just random things that happen I have a, you know, a, my ash bucket that sits outside of, uh, you know, outside my front door and it's right under, you know, I randomly placed it underneath the, the overhang and it was raining, you know, if it, and it's, the rain is dripping off the roof onto that. I, I have it covered with an old hubcap and it, you know, just the rhythm, the random rhythm that the, the, the raindrops on the hubcap make is so beautiful and so hip. Uh, you know, grab that, and so I have a whole um, scale that are all differently tuned sounds of drops of water and into water and on the metal and you know, so I just love finding musical sounds i mean once you start listening, you know this is my this is my my new mission in life to get to get people to listen to the world because there's just so much beauty the, the bird songs. Oh my god, the, some of those birds, I tell you what, they got they have such good rhythm. Like I've spent uh you know, you listen to bird song and like some of them are um they're so cyclical. So they have like five parts to their sound. And a couple during the pandemic I'd be sitting on my deck like Okay, I think I finally have it, like the, their exact little tune, each little part of their five part song. And then after listening to it for about 20 cycles, they'll throw in like one little hitch and like a totally different sound, sound uh, pattern in their sound. It's like crazy, just, just so much beautiful sound, you know. And the more you listen and the quieter it is, the more you hear, right? You know, uh, coming from it's such a funny sonic, uh, change when I go to the city to teach, you know, it's just wall of sound. You can't really hear anything, you know, it's just, you know, luckily our brain filters out half of what's coming in. But when when you're in a quiet place like where we live, if you pay attention, it's crazy. And the other reason I'm on my listening mission is that we have become such a visual culture, that it, it really is the use it or lose it thing, you know. We our ears are seriously dumbing down, and and we don't hear like we used to. So it's it's um. But once you open your ears to the sound of the world and nature, and some of it's you know man made. You know, obviously my tub drain is not a natural phenomenon, but um, it's just it's just incredible. There's just so much so much to be you know to play with that uh, it's addicting and fun. <laughs>
0: I'm glad that you mentioned that the change in the sounds, uh, definitely from the city to the to here in the country. It's just such a very different sound. Like I'm originally from the city, so it took me a while to get used to this sound. But what I come to find out is that it's not really quiet, especially like in springtime. When spring comes around, it is an opera of bird songs outside my window in the mornings. And it's like, wow, it's a, there are a lot of them out there.
2: Yeah, no nature is nature is not quiet. It's funny because people who are used to an urban sonic environment when they come to the country, they lots of people describe it, you know, what they actually mean is it's absent of human-made sound, right? But nature is up, is an uproar. I mean, yeah, in the in the early spring, you know, you wake up and the bird song is is overwhelming. It's just amazing what they're you know something really interesting on the radio on my way to the city yesterday about um i think it's a little one of those little segments i think it's called bird song but the woman was talking about the the white sparrow i can't remember which and they had analyzed the song of that bird in the 20s uh 1920s and now and its song has evolved and so they've discovered that Birdsong evolves the way human language evolved, which I thought was so interesting. Like, it was much slower tempo back then. It's very interesting.
0: Um, you mentioned it already, and we kind of spoke about it already, but who do you think would be the ideal audience for this event, and what can they expect to take away from this experience?
2: Pretty much anybody that can appreci- appreciate sound. I mean, it's not a, it's not going to be like a, a toe, a toe tapper from start to finish. Uh, there are definitely rhythmic moments and just, I think it's, it's going to be an, an interesting visual and, and sonic experience and musical and new sounds that you probably would never imagine, you know, came from what they came from. Um, you know, like I said, my, I, I think my, my object instruments are really, you know, unique and, and the way they, Trigger sound is really interesting. So I think it'll be a, a unique and inspiring experience for people that are, you know, interested in nature. You know, again, my instruments, I'm a, I'm a recyclomaniac. So I, you know, the instruments are all made from found objects, recycled objects. The sound is found and recycled in a new, interesting way and fits in great with apparently Robin incorporates a lot of sort of environmental. And natural elements into her work. That the artist who has uh, Robin Almquist, has the um, the exhibit that's at the um, Arts Alliance currently. Um, so it makes it, it makes perfect sense uh, for me to be presenting in this moment. But um, yeah, I think it'll be original and inspiring and uh, creative and fun. How's that
0: <laughs> for tooting my own horn? That's perfect. We were talking to sound artist Terry Dame, who has a performance this Saturday at the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance, which begins the Salon Series. The performance starts at two o'clock at the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance. Terry, thank you so much for joining us on the program. I do really appreciate it. My
2: pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And that does it for the local edition. We'll be back on Monday talking to the Sullivan County Workforce Development. To find out how, why they're giving out free construction courses. Also, we'll talking to the Sullivan County Democrat to find out what's in the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Find us on social media. Also, we're WJFF Radio Catskill. Visit our website, wjffradio.org. You can listening to the local edition. I've been your host. Have a good night, Lucy. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you again next week.